Welcome to Nerds of the Roundtable, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Jamie. I'm Dwayne. And I'm Sammy. And on this episode, we're reviewing one of Sammy's picks. Sammy, yes. what did we watch and why? And I know what why? the pick is this time, right? <laughs> <laughs> he remembers. I remember now. So, so, so you know, this kind of goes back. When I first joined you fellas on the podcast, you all were smack dab in the middle of your year of Star Wars. And I always thought in the back of my head, we need to review Spaceballs. 1987, Mel Brooks, John Candy, you know, keeping this alive. You know, we've been sitting squarely in the 80s for, for a, a lot of reviews at the end of 2020. We might as well begin 2021 with a uh, 80s movie also. So, uh, guys, we're going to do a little uh, Spaceballs. So. <laughs> it was a decision. <laughs> <laughs> We'll get to it. Before we get to Spaceballs, though, we're going to have to keep it 100. <laughs> it's time to keep it 100. 100. 100. 100. And Sammy, you're first out of the gate. <laughs> All right. So let me get the count started now. So, um, you know, in past episodes, we've discussed our holiday traditions uh, and over the course of the holiday, I found a new uh, show to watch. Uh, it's a British sitcom called Upstart Crow. And it's a hilarious look at the life of William Shakespeare. Uh, it's a sitcom, so uh, it, it's it's meant to be funny. Um, though I've not really gotten to the series proper, I did watch this year's Christmas episode. Aptly titled, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. A Lockdown Christmas, 1603. And it plays upon these connections between the current quarantine and pandemic we've been going through and the great plagues of the 17th century that Shakespeare would have went through. You know, they had to wear masks also, plague masks, uh, home haircuts, hoarding, supplies, all of these things, all the time that Will is trying his best to write Macbeth. Um, so it's well-written, it's quick-witted, um, it is on BritBox, but you can find a lot of it on YouTube, so if you get a chance and you're into this kind of stuff, I would check out Upstart Crow, and that's my keeping at 100. Well, who would have ever thought Sam would have picked a uh, British sitcom? That's right, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Starting to do your right. So I was looking right. for new Christmas things, right? I was snowed in on Christmas Day. I was like, I need something new to watch. So I went through all of BritBox's Christmas specials. So. <laughs> well. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. Well, I'm up next on the uh, Keeping It 100. Now, my Keeping It 100 is going to be a little bit different. I haven't had a chance to consume a lot this week. I'm kind of still doing my dive through Cobra Kai, trying to get caught up so I can get into Season 3. But one thing that I have gotten into with uh, my kids, I know right now we're in the midst of the console wars. The new PlayStation, the new Xbox has come out. Everybody's clamoring. Everybody's going nuts about it. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. Just forget that stuff. Go get you a Switch. 
Nintendo has been hitting home runs since Donkey Kong and Mario Brothers. Um, I mean, with classic characters like that, uh, you know, a lot of them carry over to the Switch. We've got a great Mario Maker where you design your own levels and characters. We've got the new Zelda games happening. I mean, it just doesn't get any better for me. So that's my keeping 100. Sweet, simple. Cool. Yeah, I haven't had much access to the TV uh, since Christmas. <laughs> there are a lot of Switch games and PlayStation games to purchase, but a lot of Switch games. Yeah, a lot of Switch games. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I got a Switch lot for Christmas, so I've oh, actually been playing gosh. the Zelda, the Zelda game. So okay, yep. cool. cool. <laughs> well, I don't play them, but they seem rather addictive because I've got a rather large TV and a subscription to NBA League Pass, and I've been watching games on my tablet. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you something, Sam. You need to uh, download Splatoon and Among Us, and we'll see if we can. Uh... <laughs> I know Nail all. It. I haven't played a second Splatoon. I know all about it. That's a huge hit. This house. <laughs> oh, yeah, Splatoon's a ton. Of, Splatoon's a ton of fun. Yeah. I'm too old. I can't. Uh, no, I, I can't. <laughs> it's too much. It's too. It, I'm like Call of Duty Four. I can't go past that. Uh, I'm too old. Uh, all right. So my my keeping 100 is uh, a long overdue one. Um, we talked about New Mutants for a long, long time on this show, and how sad we were not to ever get to watch it. Well, I watched it probably three four weeks ago, and I've kept, I've kept it in my back pocket for keeping it 100. We had, I had other things that sort of were more like, you know, time specific. It's not perfect, but it is a really good time. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy is amazing. Uh, Oyana should have been the star of the movie because she, she stole every scene she was in. She is so good in that movie. Mm -hmm. uh, the effects are better than I expected because this thing didn't have a gigantic budget. Um, they're really good. Even even the main big bad at the end looks really good. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot more interesting sort of character moments, like you know, character like stuff going on. It's not just plot stuff. It's not just set up for you know future movies that are never going to happen. Um, it works, and it works so well that I'm bummed the planned sequels because apparently this is supposed to be a trilogy, and Disney wants no part of that. <laughs> We're never seeing those <laughs> movies. Um, so, but, but the movie is so good that I'm bummed that I'll never get to see those movies. And it's so good. And some of these characters are, are so likable and you get invested in them so quickly that um, if the MCU wanted to use this as a launching point to bring the mutants into the MCU, they could just claim this movie and roll with it and I'd be happy. Uh, so New Mutants, if you can find this thing, I highly recommend it. It's a really good time. And I say it another time this week. Good job. Good job. Good job. And I, I, I won't ask you on air in case people have not gotten a chance to see it, but I want to ask you about later about uh, the last scene and how sad it was that we won't get anything else after that last scene. So. But I will back you up because this, this was your keeping 100 a few weeks ago. Charlie mm -hmm. Heaton's accent. I think that's it. He's like, it's so bad. I mean, there's a oh, couple scenes terrible. where it's okay, but man, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what they think a coal mine is. It is yep. hilarious. Yep. There's a scene inside a coal mine, and it is <laughs> not. They, they didn't even Google it. <laughs> <laughs> the story is good. That's the big thing. So. As long as it's a good story. It yeah. is. Well, well, you know, something that is uh, a story, I don't know how much of a story or how good of a story, but we did watch a movie Spaceballs. That's what we're here to talk about. So let's go ahead and dive into her opening thoughts and grades. And I'm up first. Mel Brooks. 
genius, brilliant. Love his movies. Love his comedy. Love his humor. He has a very interesting take on space. Most people think this is a strict parody of Star Wars. He's also sprinkled Star Trek. You see a little bit of the black hole in here. You see a little bit of like a lot of different, like I think there's even like some alludes to 2001 in here at, at times. This is a very different genre for Mel Brooks to tackle. And I don't know if he knew what he was doing with this thing. Um, my thoughts on this is Star Wars. It's not Star Wars. It's funny Star Wars. Star Wars is funny. This is ludicrous. I love it. I'm giving it a B plus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I am afraid of how this is going to go now. Um, I'm not a Mel Brooks fan. I know I'm, 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 not, I'm not supposed to say that out loud. My main card has probably got demerits all over it now. Not a Mel Brooks fan. I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't enjoy it. I mean, with the exception of Robin Hood Men in Tights, and it's probably just Carrie Elwes Goodwill carrying that movie. <laughs> but I don't get it. I've never seen a Mel Brooks movie I like. <laughs> I don't think they're funny. I mean, it, it's a very specific sense of humor, and it's not mine. Um, I didn't think this movie was all that funny or all that clever. It just didn't land for me. But I don't like the airplane movies either. I don't like Naked Gun. I don't like the National Lampoon movies. I mean, this is not my wheelhouse. Um, it's a D+. Plus. I don't like Ooh, this movie. Well. <laughs> it's no Galaxy Quest. <laughs> there, there you go again, adding to the schedule. <laughs> you'll get, you pick that, you'll get a better grade. Guaranteed. <laughs> All right. So uh, I'll kind of round this out now. I guess I'm a little bit more in Dwayne's camp and, and I think it, and it may be, maybe a little bit of an age thing. It may be a little bit of a, um, maybe the age you were when you were first introduced to Mel Brooks. Um, when I think of Mel Brooks, he is the father of farce, uh, plain and simple. Uh, you look at his movies and I agree with Dwayne that this isn't just directly star Wars. This is science fiction in general. Uh, just like Young Frankenstein was his poke at the Universal monsters, Robin Hood Men in Tots, you know, Blazing Saddles was his poke of the Western. You know, I mean, he looks at these genres and and does his own thing. Now, do keep in mind, a lot of what he does pushes the boundaries, and it probably isn't acceptable for polite society. Mm-hmm. Um and there's things in these movies that would not fly today. I fully and completely acknowledge that, okay? Uh, and Spaceballs does fit that mold. There are pl- times where I'm going, should I be laughing at this? You know, <laughs> I never a, had that problem. With the 2020 mindset or 2021 <laughs> now, I guess. Um, but, you know, I do think that even though the facade is humor, there's a little bit of social commentary in all of Brooks's movies. And I think you can find it here if you dig a little bit. Um, to me, this fits right into the 80s science fiction satire. Think about Ice Pirates. Um, you know, this this kind I try of... try not to. <laughs> me either. Uh, but I went to the theater to see that one. But, um, <laughs> but, it, but it slides into that realm for me. Um, you know, and it, I think it's still a fun movie for me to watch. So I'm going to also go B+. 
So <laughs> I knew this was gonna happen. <laughs> well, you know, this is you know, Milbricks does have a brand of humor. It is crass. It's crude. It's it's you know inappropriate. It's not necessarily polite. It's not kind. Um, I mean, this this is the guy you know in the producers even. You know, he he just has that that thing going on. But uh, let's look into our fans and see what we have for this movie. I'm kind of interested now because, Jamie, you're leading off when we come back. Take a trip down memory lane to the old five and dime where Sammy, a.k.a. Comic Book Kid, takes a look at the origin of some of our favorite heroes and villains in his podcast, One Thin Dime, focusing on the golden and silver ages of comics when the cover price was just 10 cents. Check him out every week on your podcast feed of choice, One Thin Dime. Well, I, I do have one. Um, <laughs> he does have credit. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Um, I was pretty sure I'd seen this movie before, like all the way through. Most Mel Brooks movies, I haven't. Like, I turn them off. <laughs> I start them. I'm like, I'm going to give this a chance. I'm like, nope. I'd never finished Spaceballs before. I think I've seen the first hour a few times. I've, I had never seen the end of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know Lone Star was a prince. I didn't know all this stuff. I, but I had never seen like how the um, the final fight went down, like how they saved the day. I'd never even seen that far into the movie. Um, I thought the way they did the ring setup was actually pretty clever um, because it's sort of like, they, they you know, it's, Chekhov's ring. They give it to him and then like don't do anything with it for forever. And then it, it actually was pretty clever. So it focuses as it functions as the locus of the Schwartz. It's a lightsaber. And then at the end, you know, it's sort of like the big payoff. He's able to use the Schwartz without the ring. And that's pretty good storytelling there. It was a good shorthand too for a lot of the things that he the ways he wanted to make fun of Star Wars. I thought that was pretty clever. Okay. Uh, I figured you would uh, not like the ring because it reminded you of Ming's ring in Flash Gordon. It did me. <laughs> it did, didn't it? I, I was laughing all the time. I'm like, this is the best your effects sure. department could do. Then when he said, I got to have a Cracker Jack box, I'm like, sure. It looks like it. <laughs> all right. Um, you know, for me, though, I love, as far as a fan goes, you know, I love the way satire is used in Spaceballs. You know, it's very satirical. You see all of the science fiction tropes. We have the rogue, the princess, the dark lord, all of it, but it's all played for laughs, you know, obviously. Um, And you get all these little homages to classic SF movies. Um, You know, like we said, there's a whole lot of Star Wars, but there's also Alien and Star Trek and and like I said, probably a little 2001 and, and black hole. I mean, all of it's here from Vespa's, from Vespa's headphones. I mean, that cracks me up every time. Um, the use of the transporter, you know, yeah, it's crass, but it's, you know, it's, it's still playing on the transporter thing. And of course they have to include the Wilhelm scream. 
So you've got to add that. I mean, that's that 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 was the ultimate cherry on top. Um, I just I just there's all these little funny in jokes, and that just works for me, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, well, my thing goes to a little bit of what Jamie said at the end of his. You know, they he, they got it out of the Cracker Jack box. This thing looks like it was filmed for five hundred bucks using my best friend's mom's camcorder. You know, and it's brilliant. You know, it's it's the story, it's the humor, it's the jokes, it's them sticking with it. You know, it's what makes it great, and it just goes to show that a joke. Humor, you know, quality, well-written, well-delivered, you know, can exceed the budget or, you know, whatever they were trying to throw at this thing. <laughs> don't know if you can call it a budget or what, but uh, yeah, that that's my fan is just that, you know, it, it looks so cheap and so cheesy and it is, but it's great. You know, they, they really nailed the parody. They really nailed the farce there. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that cheap. You got me thinking. So I looked up the bu- the budget. $22.7 million in 1987. <laughs> wasn't that cheap? <laughs> it looked that way. <laughs> well, it, well, in the 80s, I would say $18 million, and that was cocaine money. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, I I think with me, part of the, what, what makes this endearing is – kind of the, the jankiness of, of the special effects. Yeah. I mean, we, we know automatically all the ships are models, you know, hands down, all the ships are models. I mean, it looks like they, I mean, even though they had that kind of money, it looks like they were working on like an eighties doctor who budget, you know, I mean, it's, it's that kind of stuff, but there, there's still something you know, endearing about it. That and I think the camp was on, was so yeah, <laughs> right. And I think the camp was on purpose because you had that was a trope in so many sci-fi movies. You know, it, everything did look fake. Everything did look plastic. Mm-hmm. I think Mel Brooks got up 15 million in his pocket. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not wrong. (laughs) Probably not wrong. But, you know, a lot of those Winnebago's, a lot of those mobile homes, there's a small kitchen. And I wonder how those pans reacted when they were going to ludicrous speed. So let's go and see if we can find those pans laying around space anywhere. And Sam, you're leading off. (laughs) All right. You know, despite the fact that I do enjoy this movie, uh, I will freely admit the acting is not really there. Okay. (laughs) I I hope it's that way on purpose. I think everybody who's in this movie knows what this movie is. They know what it's supposed to be. It's almost like they're trying to act like it's a B old sci-fi B movie or something. Um, I just feel that, uh, but it is so distracting sometimes. And it's like, you just feel like nobody really wanted to be there. They were just trying to get it over with. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of they were having a good time though. There were a few. Whether they were good actors or not. I mean, they looked like they were having a good time, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Point well, yeah. Well, now, Sam kind of makes me think about my pan here because it is an actor. Now, this guy, I know 
Jamie, you, you're calling a certain actor that I'm kind of a fan of. You, you always call him human vanilla. And this, this guy is, is this for me. And, and he's in a lot of movies. He's a great character actor in a lot of movies. I mean, he's been the president even, He's been, you know, a space hero. He's been the romantic leads. But, you know, but he's always been just kind of that okay. He's either a bland action hero or a bland rom-com, you know, romantic lead guy. But he just is not that miracle. He, he, he gets the job done, but it's, and he does okay, but it's just not phenomenal. But Bill Pullman, you know, is really... I don't know. He just does not hit that chord for me in, in this movie. And it could have been, you know, he knew what he was playing with. And a lot of your old sci-fi movies, you know, the actors were so wooden because, you know, I guess, how do you act in a, a situation where you no one has ever had a reference to act, you know, mm-hmm. how, how, how do we act when we get to outer space? Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that was my pain. You know, he, he's kind of drugged me out of it a little bit. That or you're just trying to keep a straight face while a large rubber ant is being rolled at you. Yeah. So. <laughs> Which I, I, th- I think he's he's a he's a subtle actor being asked to do a very unsubtle part. And I think there were, there were places he struggled with that. <laughs> yeah, probably so. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's good at understated stuff. I think it's the uh, Sandra Bullock. I think it's while you were sleeping. Mm-hmm. He's really good in that. And it's kind of an understated role. And he's really good at that. But yeah, as Lone Star, he was, yeah, he should have been in the yeah. same thing. <laughs> well, you know, and what Vespa went on to be one of the stars of Melrose Place. I mean, come on. Well, we're going to get to that too. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of podcasts left. <laughs> um, so my my opinion is, I think my my biggest problem with the whole movie is that it's just the brand of humor doesn't work for me. It's not just that it's crass. I mean, it's partly of it's 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 crude humor, and it's not that's not my preference. Um, but it's also this just he, especially in this movie versus some of the snippets of Mel Brooks movies I've seen at other times. Um, it's just the lowest hanging fruit possible. Um, it's it's all just Captain Obvious stuff. I mean, there's not a lot of like effort put into these. Like, what's the easiest joke we can make at this moment? Let's go for that. And it's 90 minutes of the lowest hanging fruit possible for all of the sci-fi genre there wasn't enough low-hanging fruit with star wars so let's go for wizard of the oz let's go with planet of the apes let's go with star- all of it let's just lowest hanging fruit wherever we can find just grab it no effort though and it i just didn't think it was that funny and it didn't really uh it just didn't really work for me and so yeah that's the pain for me and i, and I think that's my problem if the, if if mill brooks's humor doesn't work for you you're not enjoying Spaceballs. Yeah. So. <laughs> There's nothing left for you. Well, I agree. It is it is the, the, the lowest hanging fruit. I will agree completely. It's I mean, it's toilet humor. I mean, it is. I mean, it's it, it's something that an eight, nine year old would cackle at. And that's probably why I enjoyed it, because that's about how old I was when I first watched a lot of this. So. But I couldn't yeah. show it to an eight or nine year old because of the class <laughs> stuff in it. That's true. <laughs> Yeah, I know uh, we've talked about this a lot on the show. You know, the the inappropriate movies we've watched as we were yeah. younger, we that we can't share with our families now because of uh, you know CPS and uh, different <laughs> <laughs> common sense. Common sense, yeah. Common sense. That's, yeah. Parents made common decisions in the eighties. Yeah. 
yeah, decisions were made, and uh, and you know the the, the PG thirteen and the R and the PG was a lot different back then. <laughs> PG thirteen meant nothing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but let's uh hit our awards section, gentlemen, and uh, see if we can find any worthiness in this show. Graphically novel. Three brothers tackle a different graphic novel each week. Listen as the brothers Fugit discuss classic and not so classic graphic novels. Subscribe now on your podcast feed of choice. Graphically novel. Three brothers who like each other but love comics. All right, I'm leading off with best performance. Well, we know who mine's not, so. I'm going to go with uh, Rick Moranis' portrayal of Dark Helmet. I love Rick Moranis' humor. I love his just always flustered, not quite making it guy. He's trying to be menacing, and he's just not quite getting there. He can't breathe with the helmet on, and he's not, you know, intimidating with the helmet up. And uh, he just is hilarious in this thing. And he's, I love, I love Rick Moranis. He's probably the right answer, but I'm I'm just out of pure shock. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say a thing that I didn't think I would ever say. I really like John Candy in this movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not a John Candy fan. Another probably another reason Spaceballs isn't at my alley. I'm not a John Candy guy, but he he was giving Mog his all. I mean, he wasn't selling that that character short, and he had some charm in this movie. So. John Candy. Can't believe I said it. (laughs) See, I'm in the exact same boat. You know, of all these people who I felt were playing against type, John Candy was right at home (laughs) in this universe playing Barf the Mog. I mean, I'm sorry. He was. He played this character so well. I mean, pretty much it's just John Candy and Fur. I mean, really? (laughs) Uh, it, it just works so well with this, you know, the way he moves, his line delivery, all of that really, to me, brought this character to life. And I really, really enjoyed uh, Mog, you know, Barf the Mog, essentially, in this movie. I want to give a call out, though, to Daphne Zuniga. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably said her name wrong. Uh, she's not a great actress, but what they needed from the, for the princess role in this movie, she gave them exactly what they needed. They were going she for was a valley girl. Carrie Fisher. Yeah, she did a pretty <laughs> good job. I mean, they needed her to, to, to do that role well, but she was doing even more of a valley girl version yeah. uh, of, of, of the princess Leia role. And she, she gave them what they needed. And I think if, yeah. if, that, if, that, if that's off, I think it really undermines the dynamic. And so I, I, she gave them what they needed. And I wanted to call her out for that. Cool. Cool. But I, but I really wanted it. I, I couldn't believe how much I enjoyed it. I mean, I didn't really enjoy it. How, how much John Candy was the bright spot? <laughs> he's, trying to, he's, the so hard. he's trying so hard not to enjoy it, Sam. <laughs> Jamie, why don't you uh, tell us if you can think of a best scene that you uh, liked in this movie? You tell us that. I don't have a lot, but I did kind of sort of enjoy the Wizard of Oz little scene with the with the, I forget the guy, yogurt. Yogurt. So mm-hmm. stupid. Yogurt. <laughs> Gosh. But 
but when they when the four of them walked in together, they were holding hands. I thought that's weird that they're holding Bill Pullman and the princess are holding hands. They're not that far along. I'm like, wait a second, he's a cowardly lion. And that's what they're like, oh, they're doing Wizard of Oz, and then he comes out, and I'm like, they're doing the Wizard of Oz. I'm like, if I squint a little, that's pretty clever. So yeah, that that was that was my best scene. Oh mercy, you know, for me. I, you know, I, like I said, I love all the little homages to so many classic movies, but my favorite one on a number of levels is the diner scene at the end. Okay. First of all, it is an homage to Alien, you know, and the fact that they brought Sir John Hurt in <laughs> to play, and even in the credits, it's John Hurt as John Hurt. John Hurt. Yeah. <laughs> He's not even listed as a character. Okay. You cannot go wrong. I mean, come on. The man was the war doctor in the 50th anniversary special of Doctor Who. I mean, he's great. I love him as a character. So you get the chest buster coming out, the whole comedic side, you know, when he starts singing. And, of course, my brain goes to Michigan J. Frog and the old Looney Tunes cartoons. When Hello, he's singing. Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. Hello, my ragtime girl. You know, kind of deal. And it just—it was just so great. I love that scene. They—they <laughs> they had me until it started dancing. I was like, "Oh no!" Like I thought something good was happening, and then now this. It Am was. It was. He was dancing. <laughs> well, my favorite scene is not a. Uh not a homage to any classic movie, but it is an homage to a great thing. You know, when the enterprise goes to warp speed, when the Falcon jumps to hyperspace, we're going to ludicrous speed. And just the ridiculousness of everybody <laughs> strapping into their seat belts and holding on and dark helmet. I don't, I don't need a seat. What are you talking about? <laughs> And then when they slam on their brakes, he flies into the flies into the dashboard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just I just loved it. I just found a positive. I I enjoy how much you guys enjoy this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I have laughed more at you all enjoying this movie than I laughed at this movie. <laughs> they went plaid. <laughs> they went plaid, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was great. <laughs> was it? <laughs> was it though? Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> it was. Oh, Sam. Mercy. Oh. Best character, brother. All right. So this movie had me break my rule. I normally do Oscar rules for this. I still have to pull in Barf as my best character. I just do. <laughs> He, he's the one that really sets well with me from his introduction on the Eagle five, you know, the way he works so well with everybody throughout the, 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 the movie itself, you know, the, the fact that he's his own best friend, he's half man, half dog. I mean, come on. Um, it just feels like kid, like I said, candy was at home in this movie and barf to me was just the, just the best character. Every scene. I just loved seeing him. Yeah, I'm I'm right with you. Now, I did do the Oscar rules, uh, having Rick Moranis as best performance. Uh, I am going with uh, John Candy as Barf for best character. 
he he was just always he's always you know anytime I've seen him in a movie yeah he brings light but he's always a bright spot and I loved him in this he was truly at home. Yep. Well, you know it's important in a story, any kind of story, to have a character you identify with. And so I'm going to go with Prince Valium. <laughs> I, I was bored and sleepy and rolling my eyes a lot as I watched baseball. <laughs> Oh goodness! Sorry, guys. That's great. <laughs> okay, <laughs> love it. Oh, that's fl- that's hilarious. I, w- I almost picked Colonel Sanders, but that name is so stupid I couldn't do it. Yep, Colonel. Sanders. <laughs> well, I had a Z at the end. That's what made it different. That's what made the difference. That's what made it sci-fi. You put the Z at the end. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> oh goodness. <laughs> Well, if I put an extra it. apostrophe in my name, can I join the Justice League? Is that all it yeah. takes? That's all it takes. Got to put a dash. Are you going to be Amy? Are you going to be Amy? Are you going to be Jamie? Whatever gets me on the team. <laughs> Whatever sci-fi I know. Really is easy enough. Okay. Well, see that that talk about a Star Wars thing. That that's prequel Star Wars. There, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Stick an apostrophe in there. <laughs> We've done those reviews. Done <laughs> <laughs> all those. So here we go. Well, uh, our next award, uh, our final uh, of our staple awards, best quote. I'm up with this, and I'm going to go with um, Michael Winslow, the radar technician, when he was doing the sound effects, <laughs> reading reading the radar, and they come over, and he's just he's just running through his gamut of sound effects. Uh, you know, the human uh, synthesizer, the human sound effects machine. Yeah, I forgot. I forgot he was in this movie when they when they when they, when they were lined up when he well, the first time I think Dark Helmet comes in mm-hmm. and they see like the one African American guy there. I'm like, I think that's Michael Winslow, but I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> 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 then later on, it is him. I'm like, okay, good. I'm not a jerk. <laughs> uh, uh. I love your barometer to think if you're a jerk or not. Well, not, well, not, that, not that kind of jerk. <laughs> I'm a whole different kind of jerk. A whole different kind of jerk. Okay. Well, my best quote, I can't believe I admitted that on this podcast. Um, uh, Sammy already stole mine. It's the only thing that I thought was... It stuck out to me. It was when John Candy says, I'm a mog, half man, half dog. I'm my own best friend. <laughs> that one landed on me. I like that. Yeah, that's pretty good. That worked, right? Yeah. That, that was my backup. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like that one, you know. Um, but, you know, when I was, I, you know, I mentioned the idea that that even though it's satire, even though it's farce, that there's a little bit of, you know, a little bit of, of, of something to it. And even though, 
you know, Mel Brooks is obviously walking around on his knees to play yogurt. Um, and it's obvious that he's walking around on his knees to play yogurt. Um, I went with a yogurt quote. And I love when he goes, merchandising, where the real money from the movie is made. <laughs> because if it, we all know George Lucas held on to the merchandising rights because he knew that's where the money was going to be. That's where it was going to come from, yeah. So to me, that was just an interesting little quote that went along with all of that. So. Well, our first episode-specific award is Best Star Wars Parody. Uh, I know there's a lot of other sci-fi stuff in here, but, you know, we're Star Wars fans. And so, and this is primarily a Star Wars Dish. parody, allegedly. Um, I, there was one thing that I thought was absolutely, like, it absolutely landed as a parody. And it's like something that Star Wars does, I think, in virtually everything that has a John Williams score. Um so Star Wars always has that thing where it opens on the ship going by really slowly, and they do it real slow and let it go by so that you know how gigantic the ships are, right? And so this thing just kept going and kept going and kept going. I'm like, okay, this is funny. This, this works. This, this is a parody of Star Wars that absolutely lands. It works. It's making fun of a thing that probably should be made fun of. A, a plus on one little element. That, that, that absolutely works as a Star Wars parody for me. <laughs> well, that's exactly what I had. And I didn't even have a backup for it because it was just so spot on. <laughs> but, you know, at the beginning of, of the Star Wars, you know, you see the, the Star Destroyer coming overhead. And it just keeps on and keeps on. And this ship even took it to a whole other level. I mean, this was <laughs> this was IT level joke. You know, where, yeah. where it goes, where it starts off and it's funny. And then it gets not funny, and it just wraps around to being funny again. It just it just keeps on and on and on and on and on. And it's changing shape, and and each shape change. You're like, oh, there's the engine. Nope, not. Yeah, there's okay. That could be that could be that could be an engineering section. Nope, it's not okay. That okay. Yeah, we're we're still going. Okay, just there's no no. That's not the engine either. You know. And then you finally see that glow. <laughs> you know, and it's like a mile and a half long. <laughs> I love that. I love it. The problem was, though, that was the last time I literally laughed out loud. <laughs> <laughs> did Did any of you guys kind of start looking at the ship to see if there was anything you recognized on it? And I, 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 I thought I saw the, fa the, fa the Falcon's radar dish at one point. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I don't know uh, I if there was anything specific, but I did tr try to keep an eye out. I mean, I know there was a lot of familiar architecture, but I don't know if there was any like direct call-outs. Yeah. But yeah, I'm pretty sure there was a radar dish at one point. I'm like, why would you put that there other than it keeps getting knocked off the Falcon? I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> they keep finding them and putting them there. You know? They just <laughs> yeah. find them and say, oh, put this dish here. <laughs> oh, mercy. Well, you know, we we're talking about Star Wars parodies here, though. So, you know, ludicrous speed was great. You know, that, that pushes the boundaries a little bit more. But I think for my best Star Wars parody, I've got to go with Pizza the Hut. <laughs> <laughs> Dom DeLuise as the voice of Pizza the Hut. Yep, that was a thing. It was gross. It was gr gross and disturbing, but so was Jabba. I mean, face it. Um, yeah. 
and, and just just even playing off of Vinny, you know, you know, the, the whole idea or else pizza is going to send out for you. Kind of <laughs> just that whole thing. I just can't help but laugh every time. And as the mouth is trying to move and the cheese is running down and the pepperoni keeps falling in his mouth. <laughs> I'm glad this movie exists for the joy it brings you. <laughs> it justifies its existence. Well, well, as we're sitting here cackling about this uh, movie, uh, Sam, what was your best uh, laugh? Best, you know, there is so much I laugh at this, and I, I tried to spread this around a little bit, um, but I think I, I definitely got it. Even though pizza definitely makes me laugh, I, I had to go with Mega Maid. You know, I just thought that was hilarious. You know, the '80s, this era of Transformers, Robotech, Shogun Warriors. You know, anything with a large mech was cool. And just the idea of how slow the ship went <laughs> as it changed. <laughs> and the fact that it was a vacuum cleaner <laughs> and a maid. I mean, oh my gosh. So <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> okay, Jamie. Um, okay, I, 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 I guess I was wrong. I did, I did laugh out loud at one more point, but I wasn't supposed to. So during the scene, the big the big showdown between Lone Star and Dark Helmet, when he jumps up from the grate and and jumps back, it is so clearly not Bill Pullman. It's <laughs> <laughs> a man. It's like six inches taller, got these huge shoulders on him, and they don't even pretend that he's not wearing a wig. They even show his face. They don't even, <laughs> they don't even care to hide that it's not him. It was so yep. obviously not Bill Pullman. I just I laughed really hard at that. I don't think I was supposed to, but I, thought, I found that really funny. Well, now the way Mel Brooks makes movies, that was probably on purpose. That was that was probably oh, yeah. by design, and you probably were supposed to laugh at that part because that's just how ludicrous uh, you know he makes his stuff. Well, then that one worked. <laughs> I, I thought they did pickups or something. I like, didn't even bother to get Bill Pullman to come back or something. It's like, okay, now we're not going to call him. <laughs> just let him go. Before Dwayne does his, though, I do have an honorable mention, okay? I love with the fact that they think they have captured the quartet, and then Darth Helmet loses it because, You caught their stunt doubles! (laughs) I I did chuckle a little bit when they went to get Spaceballs the movie, and they watched their own thing. I'm like, like, yeah, okay, that's, that's okay, that's not bad. And then Dark Helm is like, no, no, fast forward through that part. Fast forward through that part. Yeah. I didn't see that coming. That, that, yeah, that wasn't bad. <laughs> well, I really, really loved an icon of the 80s. You saw this person everywhere. On the late shows, on the early shows, on the midday shows, on the afternoon shows. Any kind of celebrity game show was happening. John Rivers was there. But John Rivers as C-3P, I mean, Dot Matrix, was hilarious. Uh, Just her portrayal of the character and where she took it. I mean, she was just absurd John Rivers. Uh, 
and I loved it. And I ch- I, I, I chuckle every time that uh, you know she's on there. She has a brilliant sense of humor. She's a great comedian. But Joan Rivers, you know this movie about the force, the farce, the Schwartz, a character actor who needs no force because he's the ruler of the Matrix. Keanu Reeves in Spaceballs? How does this totally absurd movie connect to this totally awesome actor, Jamie? I got lucky. (laughs) (laughs) I was afraid. I was afraid for you. (laughs) I got lucky. I was just, I kind of spun through the list of people in this movie and landed on one. Like the third one was like the guy that was. Anyway. I, I was terrified. <laughs> I was ready for this to be the week we no longer did the Keanu connection. Uh, okay, so here we go. I usually get a kick out of digging through actors who have long filmographies. Yeah, it's time-consuming, but sometimes the weird trajectories and the tangents that careers go on can be very amusing. And, can, and they, they intrigue me. Uh, but then there are filmographies like the one that is this week's Keanu connection. And... Uh, for me, par for the course, it's a little bit of a bummer this week. Uh, <laughs> this actor began his career doing uh, guest spots on TV shows in the 70s that you've never heard of. Then he makes a kind of a jump, and he's doing guest spots on TV shows you have heard of, like Mannix and Sanford and Son, the Bob Newhart show. Then he gets a big break, and he's got a speaking role in All the Presidents Men. And then he's a coach in the Bad News Bears. And then... Something happens, and he's back to doing random TV you've never heard of. And that cycle repeats a few times. He'll slowly work his way up the ladder of weird TV shows to where he's back on shows you've heard of. He'll get to be in a couple of movies, and then he disappears. And then he has to start back into weird random TV shows. I don't know the story, um, but it was a bummer because you can just see in the man's filmography cycles of hope and disappointment. I, I just I felt for the guy as I went through the filmography. I'm like You could see the pain and the struggle in his career. Uh, but that's life, and I've got to do the counter connection, so I've got to move on <laughs> from empathizing with this poor guy. But after playing Colonel Sanders in Spaceballs, George Weiner, on one of his uh, big upswings, played Meisel and the Devil's Advocate, starring our beloved Keanu. George Weiner, Colonel Sanders, that's still such a dumb name. George Weiner is this week's Keanu Connection. <gasps> yeah, I, I know him. Uh, you know, he was one of those actors, and, and there's a, quite a few of them in here where you see their face everywhere. He's been in a ton of TV, but it is this weird yeah. cycle where he'll, like, he'll get to be in more like prominent TV shows. He'll jump up to being a supporting actor in a couple of movies in a row. And I, I don't know if there was something like tragic, like maybe some kind of habit. I mean, I'm not, I'm not accusing anybody of anything. I don't know anything. Yeah. But, it, it, but it's just such a weird filmography. It's a weird repeated cycle. Like he would start to like advance in his career and something would happen and he would be back doing <laughs> syndicated TV and then slowly work his way back at the network TV and then like TV you've heard of. Then he's in movies again and then he's gone again. And it was, yeah. it was bizarre. Like it was at least three or four different times that exact cycle repeated. It was, hmm. it was weird. I can't help but laugh every time I think of that character and when they go, what's wrong, Colonel Sanders? Chicken? 
<laughs> or uh, Sam getting another quote in. Um, <laughs> no, but speaking of uh, TV shows, there is a great TV show that's been happening here. Um, I think we just finished the second season, guys, around just before Christmas. Um, Disney Plus has uh, this great little ditty called The Mandalorian, a uh, little from the corner of the Star Wars universe. I think this is what we're reviewing next, correct? I I think there's a chance folks might have heard of this one. I think, I think we may have heard of this. So if you haven't heard of it, maybe go to a little uh, streaming service called Disney+. Plus. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Disney or not. They're uh, kind of a company that's been uh, dipping their toe in animation and live action here lately. Uh, but uh, check out The Mandalorian. I mean, I'm surprised we haven't. And talked about this before, but you know, as season two wrapped up with a couple of great stingers, I'll save them for the episode. Uh, really, really looking forward to checking this out. But Jamie, as we prepare, as we fire up our streaming services, as we scroll over to season one, episode one of The Mandalorian, what are we going to do? We're going to put on our best, best car armor as we keep it dirty. Might go a direction. We'll see.